0: Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Crack Trail Podcast, episode 23. Um, I actually thought, last time I recorded this, even though I say 22 at the start of it, when I was uploading it, I thought it was 21. And I thought, oh, what a perfect fucking number for the start of the year being 2021, but I was wrong. Um, so, 23 is where we are now and I've decided... Uh, by the way, I will... There will probably be a small pause in a minute because I have to go out and fucking do something with the oven. But, I decided I would make this my top 20 films of 2020 um i was also considering oh will i do 10 i thought no it's 2020 i have to do fucking 20 films i did this last year for 2019s films but what i did was i was new to the podcast game at the time so i ended up basically doing a full 90 minute podcast and then doing my fucking top 20 which was a mistake so this time i won't be talking about any new movies i, I I did see Pieces of a Woman. It's the only new movie of 2021 I've seen so far. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an episode probably at the end of the week. Where I talk about whatever new stuff I saw or whatever I'm doing next. Um, but this will be exclusively for the top 20 films of the year of last year. Plus my bottom movies. Now I am going to talk about my bottom 9. It was going to be 10 but I realised there's 3 movies that I, I initially had in the, in the bottom 10. I thought you know what. They don't deserve to be in the 10 worst. They'd be runner-up, for sure. But there's only 9 movies where I was actually pissed off by the end of them. Uh, and really hated. And I'll quickly go over them before I do my top 20. I will talk about some runners-up, though. Runner... Runners-up? Runner-ups? Runners-up? Runner-ups. There he is, isn't it? Runner-ups? runner up sounds right to me. Um. So, some shit that I saw last year... That didn't make my bottom 100. But was... Disappointing or not great, or whatever. Now, there's some movies that weren't great, like something like Arkansas wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible enough to be considered my near the bottom worst movies of the year. Uh, I would include um, Charlie Brooker's Debt to 2020 um, because for years now I've seen Charlie Brooker's uh, Wipe or Year in thing. whatever the fuck it is, or is it Weekly Wipe he was doing it for a while. He basically Was doing these shows for such a long time. And they were so cutting and brilliant. The satire was fucking. Biting. Something you would never fucking see on any other channel. And no one had the balls to say what he said. This felt like the safest fucking thing he's done. Probably ever. I mean I know some of the Black Mirror episodes. Like the Miley Cyrus one. All really went down a shitty road. But in general he's always had something cutting edge in it. But this was basically. What has been said for the last four years. We know Trump's a twat. But. ...an hour or an hour and a half... however long it was... ...of just basically saying the same thing over and over... ...and pointing out what a twat he was... ...it's like... ...I mean I've seen this all year... ...you haven't really added anything new... ...and it just felt fucking lazy... ...he could have really made this a year to... ...go after everything... ...that people weren't talking about... ...but instead they were just like... ...well Trump's the easiest target would we'll go for him... ...and I think all of the Trump bashing... ...is going to age poorly... ...in terms of comedy... ...I think... ...years from now... ...I think I might have said this before... But years from now, you're going to look back at it and go, like, that was really the shittiest kind of comedy. The whole joke was he's orange and he's a fucking ugly doofus and says stupid shit in tweets. And I was like, yeah, it's boring. At least there was a bit of variety when you took the piss out of George Bush. And uh, they should add some variety to Trump. But even still, like, I don't have to like the guy to say that fucking hell. It's just the most boring, easy target at this point. Uh, so, Death 2020 was a letdown for me. I think this is the thing, though, a lot of people enjoy it. And I think. This is people who haven't been watching Charlie Brooker for years. So to them this was new and to them this was really cutting edge and biting and shit that they hadn't seen before. So I can see why it was so popular. It just When you know Charlie Brooker's stuff and you know how good he can be, it was a fucking letdown. Um, I went on longer about that than I expected. Uh, Extraction, which was the Netflix action movie with Chris Hemsworth. I thought there was one really fucking great action scene. And no, it's not the fake long take. I, I was motion sick just seeing how many hidden edits were in that uh because i know they were going for this feel of like a 12 minute long take even though it was like stitched together but the stitching was so badly done in parts that it really fucked it up for me uh i also thought it was really stupid and boring uh the other, as i said there's one really fucking good gritty action scene a fight scene where he's like basically busts into breaches a room and kicks the fuck out of people that was class and i thought okay this movie's gonna really be good and it wasn't uh birds of prey i think i talked about that at the start when i made this podcast uh it is shite it's not unwatchably terrible but it's pretty fucking bad uh the five bloods i thought was shite as well everyone seems to be raving about it i don't know why yeah you're allowed to admit that spike lee isn't always good i mean do the right things a masterpiece but that doesn't mean this is this is fucking shite and uh I think Delroy Lindo was completely overrated, and everyone goes on about how fucking amazing he was and saying, "Oh, an Oscar, Oscar for him." I thought, no, he wasn't that good. No, I thought he was really over the top and kind of shit, and his dialogue was crap. Everyone's dialogue was crap. I just think it's a mess of a film. Uh, it should have been really good, but it, I thought it was crap. Bad Boys for Life as well was a fucking mess of a film. I mean, I rewatched the three or the two of them. I rewatched the first one a few years ago. I think I mentioned this and how it didn't hold up the way I thought it did, and the second one really held up way better than I thought. So to see it go from Michael Bay's big, bombastic, crazy action to pretty contained, mostly CGI shit action was a letdown. Uh, Greed is one that, as I watched it, I didn't mind it, but the more I thought about it, I just thought it was just a fucking waste of a film. It's not that it was terrible. It's not that it was badly made or badly acted. It just had no impression on me whatsoever. I just thought it was a waste of time. The Impractical Jokers movie as well. Fucking hell, that should have been so much better, but it was actually really fucking lame. Jane Silent Bob Reboot expected decent things i didn't think it was gonna be great but i thought it'd be better than it was and it really it just felt like a fucking shitty fan movie um savage is actually one of the last movies i watched last year and it's a new zealand fucking biker gang crime movie and it just it, it added literally nothing new i just i've seen it a million times before they kind of made it half a prison movie as well but it just didn't work for me at all. I was just bored watching it. Uh, Guns Akimbo, which is probably the most fucking high concept brilliant idea ever of Daniel Radcliffe basically trolling people online, and then they decided to put him into this game where he, he has pistols bolted into his hands with 99 bullets per hand or something like that, I think it is. And it's just like, okay, go survive. And he's basically now part of this TV show slash game. Great idea. Executed really fucking poorly. Project Power. I, might have reviewed on this i definitely wrote a review for it it wasn't a fucking good review i thought it was fucking terrible one of the shittest things netflix have done and a total waste of an idea um with a good cast and this one here is the one that i initially had in my bottom 10 but i thought you know what there is kind of something to it i was talking to chris weston who is also writer and reviewer and I, we kind of started talking through Instagram and Letterboxd and stuff like that and we were agreeing on this that there's something about this movie that I can't even put my finger on it there's ambition with it and oh by the way the movie is Capone the one with Tom Hardy where he spends most of it slurring in the most hammy fucking way ever and shitting his pants and doing all sorts the last years of Al Capone's life as he was dying of syphilis which is a brilliant idea but they just handle it so poorly but there's so much ambition and ideas that i'm like all of this could work so fucking well and i'm sitting there like often when i'm watching something that i think is being done poorly i'm pissed off going they could be doing this and they could be doing that but with this i was like i'm entertained by it sort of but it is also shite like it's a weird one but it it has enough ambition for me to not include it in the bottom 10 so the bottom nine are as follows and i'll be as brief with these as i was with the last few uh random acts of violence is jay Barrichell's i don't know if it's a director or director debut i don't think it is actually but it's a, a horror movie where he's also in it he's not the lead character though but it's about this comic book writer who comes up with this fucked up horror comic with this lunatic serial killer and someone is then copying the murders from his book and it's all about how does art imitate violence, and or violence imitate art, or whatever the fucking way to put it is. Uh, it was just—it's nothing I haven't seen before. The the opening kill, like about fifteen minutes in or so, uh, is brilliant, and I thought, okay, this is going to be really something else. And it did something I haven't seen in a movie that I've—I've I've come up with for stuff I've written before of someone defending themselves from being stabbed and being stabbed through the hands into the face and all this and i thought that's something that would be really horrifying in a fucking horror movie which would be cool to see and no movie's ever done it for this movie did it it's a shame the rest of the movie was fucking shite and after that this one seems to be topping not topping but it's in a lot of people's best lists and i just simply do not understand how this is doing so well i think people are so starved for something new they just gave this a pass and it's host the hour-long Zoom possession movie where a bunch of girls meet up to do a seance online and things start going fucky. And it was done with COVID in the narrative in the sense that we're all in lockdown so why don't we do this over a fucking webcam. A good idea. An alright idea, I should say. And they were creative with some of the stuff they did but fucking it's so boring. I didn't give a fuck about any of the characters. I thought they were all dickheads and I couldn't wait for them to die. I thought where it went was just so corny and stupid. There's a couple of interesting ideas involving like face filters and stuff like that that you see on Instagram. That I thought, well, that's a smart idea. You handled it poorly and made it lame. Uh, it, it did nothing for me. Mark Kermode even had it in his top 10, which blew my fucking mind. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, that did fuck all for me. Uh, Books of Blood, which was one made for Hulu, and it's based on Clive Barker's Book of Blood. I think it takes some of that general story as well as some new stories he wrote for it and f- they're all fucking crap it was a nice looking movie at times and i thought okay this is going to be really something but it's it was mostly just really irritating really corny shit horror movie ideas that felt like it felt like a pilot to a series and it turned out it was they wanted to make it like a new uh tales in the crypt kind of thing but with clive Barker, and it was poorly received so it wasn't gonna happen uh this next one was my number one for most of the year uh, and I'm amazed actually anything really surpassed because it, it's fucking garbage and that's The Grudge the new sort of sequel sort of remake I don't know what the fuck you want to call it um, Andrea Risborough is in it who's just destined to be in the most miserable shit her entire career um, it really tried I can't say it tried to do something new it tried to do something shocking and it didn't work and I just had the lamest scares it looked like it was shot on an iPhone, I thought, because I, I thought it would be insane. which, as I was watching it, I was thinking, this looks weird and digital, but it looks like it might be on a phone. Turned out it was. This looked like it was shot on a phone in a bad way. It didn't look like they were being creative. I looked at it going, is there something wrong with the projector or something? Because this is just pixelated and crap, um, and not scary, and just fucking stupid. So, avoid the grudge remake at all costs. Um... And loads of side fucking plots in it. That have no bearing on the story whatsoever. They're just there for the extra scare. Um, After that is David Ayers. The tax collector. Fucking hell. What is up with this chap? When he wants to be good. He can be very fucking entertaining and good. But most of the time he is dog shit. And this movie is maybe his worst. I, I fucking hated this film. It started off. And this is what makes me hate it more. The first half an hour of it is ultra solid it. well no, hang on let me let me rephrase that it's not ultra solid it's solid I say ultra solid because in comparison to the rest of it it's a fucking masterpiece but it's about as solid as his, his last movie Bright which was a made for Netflix kind of rip off of Alien Nation with Joel Edgerton and Will Smith and that had some good ideas and it was gritty when it wanted to be it was kind of shit for a lot of it but there's some good enough stuff in it and this felt like it was going the same way and for the first one it's fucking brutal when i, when I mean that in terms of violence like there's some nasty fucking shit in it and they just set shia LaBeouf up to be this absolute fucking beast and he's not he got his whole chest tattooed for it and the thing is only in the film for fucking half a frame it's, it's the dumbest thing he's ever fucking done um but oh no, they just when it gets to the last half hour of that film i couldn't actually believe my eyes how bad it was in terms of action in terms of decisions just some of the setups they have. I was just like, there's like flashbacks during one moment where he remembers like training he had in martial arts, and it comes into the film. And I was actually, even I was on my own watching it. I was looking around the room for other people to shout at, but how bad it was! Uh, awful film. um I wasn't doing this by number, was I? <laughs> so nine, eight, seven, six, five. All right, so bottom four now. Number four is you should have left. Which fucking hell! I sh- if I was in the cinema, I would have left. It's... Kevin Bacon... What is up with him? He's like Gary Oldman... In that when he wants to be... Again... Amazing... When he doesn't try... He's fucking unwatchably bad... And in this he's... Fucking dreadful... And what's their faces in it too? Can't even think of her name... Amanda Seafried. And he's like some... Hot shot movie producer guy... Uh, or he's like a writer... I think he's a writer... But his girlfriend... Is Amanda Seafried And she's a, an actress... And they decide... Look we're kind of having some troubles here... Why don't we fuck off to Wales... For a weekend away with our daughter... And once they get there, things start getting really weird and bizarre and really generic and fucking annoying with some of the worst scares on acting I've seen. There's a point in it where he hallucinates that his daughter's dead and fucking hell it is so bad. It reminds me of fucking uh it's not Elias Coates, what's his name? Kim Coates. I always mix the two of them up. Kim Coates and Sons of Anarchy, where there was all these like previews uh the week before this this episode where his daughter is fucking burnt alive in front of him and it's a horrific idea and from a split second of the scene he's absolutely fantastic and then everything after that is terrible and all these interviews before the episode came out they were like oh man kim Coates is really just it's on his a-game is the best he's ever been and in the scene he lets out this big scream and it was fucking horrifying i thought okay you're gonna see some like emmy worthy acting from him and then after that it is just comically bad acting and again that's what kevin bacon is like in this he's just fucking dreadful um number three then is i know i think it's my brother's number one because <laughs> i know he fucking hated it and it's uh, a movie called force of nature with mel gibson who i love who gives one of the shittest performances he's ever fucking given he just throws on a heavy fucking new york voice doesn't sell it well at all And i don't even think it's set new i can't even remember where it It's like miami or something but it's him and what's his fucking name oh i don't remember his name Emil hirsch and the movie had loads of controversy because it was like oh you've mel gibson who's some white supremacist and you've Emil hirsch who i think apparently beat up his girlfriend the movie's a racist misogynist film now it's like it's neither of those things it's just shit really shit terrible effects really bad action nothing about it comes together well and at the ending of it is just so cringy when your film has a fade out in it it feels like a fucking garbage soap opera and that's what this fucking had uh the next film number two this almost was my number one this was my number one once i saw it even though i saw it after my number one i was so enraged with how bad it was that i was like this is the worst of the year but it's actually it's more number two there's a bit more to it the number one even though it's garbage and it's the sort of sequel to train to busan which is hang on did my alarm go off i don't know i have a minute left so i'll leave you well you won't be left at all it will be immediately cutting to this but when you hear it, it'll it'll sound slightly different. And I have returned. But only briefly, because I'm going to have to go back out to it in about half an hour. But yes, I was talking about my number two shittest fucking film of last year. And that is the sort of sequel to Train to Busan. Which was one of my favourite films of 2016, I think. 16 or 17, I think was when that came out. Uh, it's a Korean zombie film set almost entirely on a train... On it's way to Busan. From Seoul. I think it's from Seoul. And it's... Riveting. Absolutely riveting. One of the best things out there. right? Because it can be funny as well as... Fucking melodramatic without being shy. And ultra tense. With great fucking zombie moments. And even though sometimes the CGI is noticeable. It's never noticeable in a bad way. It looks fucking deadly. Um, and it's constantly building on different ideas of... Okay they're, they just got out of that situation. But now they're in this one. How the fuck did they get out of that? And they're always on their toes and there's always something new and it was so creative and brilliant so I expected something maybe not as good but at least something in that fucking ballpark when this came out Jesus Christ it's it's called Peninsula or Train to Bus and Presents Peninsula and it's about a different family at a different time that I caught up in this and oh my god it is just actually well it's partially different it's one guy who didn't help a family and now this is what 10 or so years later and where they are now in the middle of this apocalypse and the idea is that he has to go to this peninsula which is overrun with zombies and retrieve a shitload of money that's there and it's just they've just created this stupid fucking world and when he gets to the peninsula it reminded me of that movie Doomsday Doomsday is one of the shittest films I've ever seen but it has ideas ideas That and it's really gory that's the only reason to see any of it if you can find a compilation of the gory scenes online that's all you need to see but it reminded me of Doomsday which is not a good thing Doomsday is brilliant compared to this that's how bad this is this has some of the stupidest melodrama I've ever seen particularly in the last act like stuff that I actually couldn't believe that you would see in a Michelin web sketch or something it's so fucking daft on the nose and paw the CGI in it is Playstation 1 level Like it looks like that bit at the start of that movie Lockout, which is dog shit. The fucking movie that ripped off, uh, what's it called? Escape from New York, but in a space station. And it's just it's really dog shit. But there's a part at the start of that where it's so cartoonish and so bad. It looks way better than Peninsula does. I really couldn't believe my eyes. Fucking dire film. If you're in any way a fan of Train to Busan avoid this like the plague even if you're a zombie movie fan even if you like schlocky crappy zombie movies this will not actually scratch that itch whatsoever the zombies are shite there's virtually no gore and any gore is crap it's comically over the top and stupid but not in a good way it's just irredeemably fucking bad do not waste a second of your time on it and lastly now is the film of, of the year that I thought was so bad that I was actually enraged when it was over. And I, I felt like I was robbed. It was so fucking bad. And that is a slasher movie. Which are rare enough nowadays. Because they don't really work in today's climate. But it's a film called Slash, And the idea of it is. is a, I, can't, I can't even remember it. It's so fucking poor. It's this chap who. Or this person who's basically decided. 30 years after this accident or however long. It, the movie by the way tries to have this 80s summer vibe. Even though it's set in modern day. And it's cringy. Just shitty teenager fucking romance. Love triangle bollocks going on. And it's a real spring break kind of atmosphere. It's just shit. But it's about this guy who. 30 years after a terrible accident there. Wants to take it out on the kids that are there. So it's finally a 13 type fucking job. Only in a uh, swimming park water park and the way it is presented is that he sets up an array of fucking insane death traps on all the slides and rides and whatever else that is not what you get you get some of the most embarrassingly shit kills that have nothing to do with anything like again it's, it's almost like a parody of these slasher movies but it takes itself serious enough that it isn't a parody but also isn't good or scary in any way and the main Point to see it is. There's this slide. That he puts two big. Blades through. In a. Cross. So anyone slides down. Is going to get sliced to pieces. That is the only moment. Of the film we're watching. Which you can probably find on YouTube. Because they did it practically. Everything else around it. And it's only 70 minutes as well. But it felt like. Literally three hours. It was so slow. Boring. Badly acted. Irritating. And just. Just an ugly piece of shit film. And. I genuinely See the reason I even watched it in the first place. Is there was a movie that I showed at Horrorthon a few years ago. Which still hasn't had a proper release anywhere. I think it's online somewhere. But it hasn't had a Blu-ray release or a real cinema release anywhere. And it was called Game of Death. And it was heaps of fun. High concept fucking mad idea of this board game. That essentially means that a random number will generate for you. It's your turn. A random number generates. And that number is the amount of people you have to kill. Before the timer runs out. Or something bad will happen. That's about as much as I'm going to say about it. Tons of fun. Really funny. Really fucking stylish. The last 20 minutes or so is blindingly good. The rest of it is really funny and over the top and crazy. But the last 20 minutes I was so impressed with. This on the other hand. Oh by the way. The reason I, sorry, I mentioned it. Is because I thought it was the same director. And I thought right. He fucking knocked it out of the park with fucking Game of Death. slash is surely going to be as good i watch it and i'm thinking this is fucking dog shit by the way that that was the chair if that sounded like a scruff because uh, it's up against some wooden another wooden chair here. because uh, i wasn't sure if that would pick up on the mic trust me I, I would admit it if it was anything else um but it was just so fucking bad and i thought how did they make such a fucking balls of this and then i look at it all right the director i don't even want his name's probably here i'm not going to read it i will not even give the fucking name a mention but he made a movie a few years ago called Discopath, which again a fun idea about this guy who's so triggered by disco music he goes on killing sprees when he hears it usually slashing people up with old vinyl records and shit like that fun idea woefully executed unwatchably fucking bad it turns out it was one of the producers of the game of death that was involved with this film and they have that in big writing on it just to be like oh here's the good film go see this one so I was duped into seeing this and it is officially the shittest movie of the fucking year for me. So again from 9 to 1 Random Acts of Violence Host Books of Blood The Grudge The Tax Collector You Should Have Left Force of Nature Peninsula and Aquaslash. Don't watch any of those films. They're all absolutely bollocks. Now I don't know how long I took shit, on about that. Uh, 20 minutes. That's not too fucking bad. I, I, I'm usually infinitely worse than that um so now i'm going to talk about the top 20 best films of the year uh i will give a few mentions as well to some other ones that were were worth seeing last year that just barely missed the cut here to be honest when it gets to around the 20 mark a lot of that's interchangeable it's kind of in the higher numbers that are are the more accurate ones but a lot of these are are fairly interchangeable and i probably would change some of them over time anyway so it's mostly the top five really you have to kind of be concerned with but i'm gonna just give a, a few mentions here so one of them uh the brilliant sound of metal which is a strange one because it's it's, it's technically just perfect but it's just something about it just didn't grab me the way i thought it would i think it's excellent it's Riz made gives probably the best performance of his career it's a brilliantly shot really atmospheric i think it's shot in 16 mil films so it looks class The use of sound in it or lack of sound is fucking brilliant. It's just really affecting brilliant movie. It's just not my top 20. Um, The Hunt, which I liked a lot, which was basically a liberals versus conservatives movie, but it basically showed that they're all dicks and uh, they all deserve to be shot. Uh, 7,500, really fucking good, tense, airplane cockpit thriller. Uh, Coca Coca Cocoday, which is a really bizarre sort of groundhog day-esque but irritatingly intense movie uh i say irritating because i was so on the edge of my seat with certain parts of it that i was practically shouting at the tv uh richard Jewell as well is fantastic clint eastwood can really do no wrong most of the time um a couple of other ones i'll mention here uh the wolf of snow hollow i did like and i've grown to like it more over time at the time i was kind of i thought thunder road was so brilliant that this felt like a bit of a letdown but it actually is quite entertaining uh the vast of night which i think technically is perfect it's brilliantly fucking made really tight script very dialogue heavy amazing camera work i just thought the two leads were shitting particularly the guy he's just one of the most frustratingly annoying assholes that i just couldn't get on board with his character at all he's just one of these i'm smarter than everyone type cunts and uh i think it kind of spoiled the movie for me a bit but otherwise it's fucking really good and well, that's what i mentioned There's, i have a few in front of me here that i think are, are are worth giving a nod to um bad education was actually quite good that made a lot of people's list i thought that was very good and i enjoyed jojo rabbit but it's not the masterpiece people make it out to me but anyway on to the top 20 and at number 20 is one that also went to hulu and i thought was way more enjoyable than I expected this reminded me of the movies I watched growing up Uh, a lot of kind of teen movies this felt like something that would have been out in the 80s or 90s Uh, it's a movie called Big Time Adolescence and I was apprehensive about watching it because Pete Davidson is the lead in it and he's always bugged the shit out of me Um, but with this and one of the the later movies I'm going to mention he actually has kind of won me over Um, and this one is pretty much just about this 16 year old teenager who isn't very popular in school but he befriends his sister's ex-boyfriend who's Pete Davidson and he's just a waster drug dealer type and he gets involved with him and basically starts becoming a drug dealer in a school with the uh, chaperoning of Pete Davidson's character and I was just totally enamoured by it I thought it was actually quite funny really well made It feels like the kind of movies that aren't made anymore um, and it, it kind of gave me similar vibes to well actually no. I can't really say that. Because this was an extremely tense thriller. That one uh, Super Dark Times. But that captured that really 90s. High school atmosphere. This kind of feels like something. That might have been out around the same time. As bad, But it came out a decade later. And I just thought it was. Thoroughly fucking enjoyable. Um, and immediately was one of my favourites of the year. But obviously there was so much good shit. That it wasn't going to live up to them. But still really enjoyable. I would, I'd highly recommend it. It's a nice looking movie too. And I think it showed that. Pete Davidson has acting chops and he can be funny even if he's a bit of an annoying prick Um, and number 19 then was, now this was quite high up at the start because I saw it very early in the year but obviously now it's made its way down a good bit but it's still excellent and that's True History of the Kelly Gang, I've always been calling it the True History but it's just called True History of the Kelly Gang and it's uh, not exactly True History um, of Ned Kelly and his brothers and all these irish lunatics criminals basically that used to go around robbing and killing and dressing up as women to do it as part of their battle armor and there was this very famous idea involving ned kelly where he basically made his own armor and ran an army of people against a lot of fucking police and it's pretty much his rise to that and how he ended up starting this gang and it's george mckay is the leading, and he's had a fucking good year with 1917 as well which i will mention 1917 the lighthouse and parasite aren't in my top 20 because i saw them in 2019 so they're my they were in my 2019 they're actually all in the top five i think um so that won't be included That they won't be included here but george mckay he's doing really well nicholas holt who's pretty much always playing these sort of period piece characters now but he's always a bit of a prick in them he's very good in it charlie hunnam was quite good in this as well and he's he's really made a comeback i think because he's been a bit shit for a while but now he's he's gotten very good again particularly with one of my later entries here as well um you also have earl cave which is nick cave's son who's been he's doing another film i think he did for a tv movie for bbc but he was also in the end of the fucking world season two i think it was season two he's brilliant as this well. and there's ties where he's just so uncannily like Nick Cave that it's crazy Um and how do you say her fucking name Thomasin McKenzie I think I say her Tom, Tommy McKenzie Uh who's in Jojo Rabbit as well she's in this too and it's kind of a more darker role for I think did I mention Russell Crowe another person in this too who gives a decent performance I think everyone in this is kind of a piece of shit and Justin Kurzel Justin Kurzel made it Uh, Who made Snowtown Which is One of the most Bleak Fucking Grimy Fucking drama Crime thriller movies Out there And the fact that it's based on True events too Makes it all the more bleak Uh, And he also did Macbeth Which I have Issues with Uh, I think it's At times Brilliantly made And at other times Very shockingly poorly made And mostly really boring But uh, This one Really strong And it went straight to prime Over here eventually um, it was shown at the Dublin Film Festival at the start of the year first and then it ended up going to prime um, but yeah definitely worth watching um, And number 18 then is another fucking film that was high up at the start but has now made its way back and it's a weird one because when I watched it I thought oh, I don't know what to think about it but the more I thought about it the more I actually really fucking liked it um, and it's Melina Matsuka's film Queen and Slim which stars Daniel Kaluuya Who obviously had a huge fucking turn In the likes of Black Mirror And uh, I think he's in Sicario If I remember right He's in that And obviously Get Out Was the big fucking movie for him And Jodie Turner Smith And the idea is That there are two people Who just met on a Tinder date They do not get on at all um, And when they're driving home From the date They get stopped by a Very clearly racist cop Things go very sour And now they're on the run For their lives Uh really interesting idea your one Melina Matsoukas who director, it she apparently just directed mostly like fashion adverts and Beyonce music video she has this really interesting slow-mo style like the movie feels like a really class looking music video which I think helped a lot for me um, you actually are interested in the characters too it is silly at times it, it, like the suspension of disbelief is tested pretty fucking heavily in the last half hour but it is still really entertaining you also have Chloe Savini in there and Bucky Woodbine who I fucking love, and he got a really good part in this. Plus, Flea has a small appearance too. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought it was fucking really, really good and interesting. Uh, it was able to tackle issues of race without being on the nose and annoying. That that like any any kind of issue in life that's tackled too on the nose, just it kills it for me, and that's that's what I find so irritating. And this managed to do it really well, make it really effective and kind of eye opening without being preachy and stupid and annoying as well as having really good fucking interesting characters and uh, you're really rude for them and I, I, again i don't want to say too much about it because you get more invested in than you'd expect but very stylish really well made uh number 17 then is a ton haynes movie i've actually only seen one of his movies all those movies i've been meaning to see for fucking years the only one i have seen was poison which i thought was a piece of shit and i is famously known for being an nc-17 shocking grotesque weird movie um mostly because there's like gay sex in it so that was enough to get the censors fucking back up but i thought it was a piece of shit he's done this movie and it's it's my kind of movie i like movies where it's the little guy versus the fucking the corporations and this is that in spades and it's Mark Ruffalo is the lead in it and it's a movie called Dark Waters and it was about him trying to investigate he's not even a fucking detective he's just an attorney but he's trying to investigate why there was a lot of unexplained deaths relating to this company and potential water poisoning and it's based on a real story Uh, and you've got the likes of Anne Hathaway in it Bill Pullman's in it Tim Robbins is great in it as well and Bill Camp who was just everything i watch him in he's fucking excellent and he's brilliant here gives he one of his strongest performances but it's one of those movies that'll have your blood boiling but also you're just gripped and totally on the edge of your seat because it's true story true story is always pretty much always interesting so it works fucking really well here and i thoroughly enjoyed it i would recommend it and it when did that come out i think it was that might have been one of the first movies to come out this year uh, it wasn't the first that i saw but it was one of the first to come out and it's just ultra fucking strong and it might be on netflix now i'm not 100 but if you can seek it out give it a look it's called dark waters and it's top class uh number 16 then is an idea that's been done to fucking death but they still managed to make it somewhat original and very enjoyable and that's max barbacows which i think this is his fucking debut movie as well uh palm springs with andy sandberg and Kristen maloney and jk simmons also has a fairly big partner too but the idea is that these two people who are at a wedding end up in a time loop akin to groundhog day and seemingly there's no way out so they just decide to live a fucking crazy life for as long as they want letting themselves die taking drink drugs killing people doing whatever the fuck they want. well they don't really kill people but they're that level of extremity where they can just do literally whatever the fuck they want because there's no repercussions um but they also are being hunted down in the process and I don't want to say anything else about it but it's totally unique and even though I knew that was the idea of the movie it still had so many surprises in it that I really liked and the soundtrack is fucking great too there's a a lot of fucking really good music Leonard Cohen and what's his fucking name my brain's gone blank here but either way the soundtrack to the movie is fucking great oh kate Push. she has some of her music in it too uh definitely give it a look if you want it's just a really enjoyable upbeat it's a good mood movie that's the way i put it it's a lot of fun and it's just you would be in a good mood after watching it there is sappy moments there's one or two bits from like oh, you didn't need to do that it was kind of unnecessary for the plot but it actually is it's very enjoyable overall um and number 15 then is an irish movie which i think is by an english director um nick Rowland directed it and i'm pretty sure this might be his debut as well at least for feature debut and it's a movie set in ireland called *Cam with horses and i remember hearing the title going it's a bit of a naff title i didn't know what it was about it was about horse racing or something um but no it was actually not at all it's a, it's quite a gritty slow-burning crime movie it actually is sort of similar atmospherically to uh, Catch Me, Daddy, which I watched last year, which was a fucking amazing movie. Uh, one of those movies that is, when I watched it, I was like really liked it and then loved it and really loved it all in the space of ten minutes. And f- second, it was over. I fucking ordered the Blu Ray, and glad I did because I think the fucking special edition of it's out of print now. So, but that was amazing. This has the same sort of dream like atmosphere, and it's about this ex-boxer played by Cosmo Jarvis who gives a blinding fucking performance. I'm pretty sure he's English too. But he's absolutely amazing in this and he's a bit i don't know whether he's punch drunk or he's just a bit slower there's there's something wrong with him anyway but he gets involved with this family of drug dealers known as the devers and one of them is barry Keoghan, who's had a seriously big fucking booming career and i'm glad he's still doing irish films um because he's actually quite good when he wants to be but particularly I, I like him when he's actually not playing someone irish he's usually at his best then um but he He's involved with this family and they kind of just use him as a sort of strong arm type of person to basically get shit done when people aren't behaving. And he wants to get out of that life. He has a, a kid with Neve Olgar who gave one of the best performances I've ever seen in The Virtues Shane Meadows show, which no one talks about that show anymore. It wrecks my head. It only got a DVD release too, which is a crime that there's a special edition Blu ray one of the best shows i've ever seen on tv acting wise it's there's nothing like it like shane Meadows does realism arguably better than the likes of fucking mike lee and and ken like that, who do it amazingly but fucking hell this is another level um she's excellent at this too she doesn't have as difficult a subject matter as she did in the virtues but she's fucking excellent here and Ned dennehy is uh pretty much always play some form of piece of shit. I'd actually like to see him play a, a warm, friendly old man like Father Jack when he runs around with the puppies for a day. Like he, he I feel like he could actually do a character like that, but he seems to just play scummy bastards and fucking everything and he's a real dickhead in this. and if you don't recognise him by name, he was in he's in Harry Brown as a scumbag, but probably more recently recognized He's actually in Guns of Kimbo too, which is a shame but more recently he was in mandy and he's jeremiah sands right hand man and he's fucking great in it. um but yeah that's number 15 cam horses highly recommended number 14 is one again that was high up before but has now kind of made its way back and that is Leo winnell's the invisible man and i've actually talked about this earlier on because this movie he had made upgrade uh, the year before which is a fucking great action-packed sci-fi movie loads of practical special effects it looks savage he did that for five million dollars and he did this for seven million dollars usually you do five million dollars you jump up here's 100 million to do whatever you want no he said no give me seven million dollars and i'll make the invisible man and i'll make it my way and he did the the effects and everything is are fucking brilliant it's really dark and gritty it has problems for sure but i think the the goodness of that outweighs a lot of the bad but the bad is definitely there you can't deny that there's logical issues in it it's also one of those fucking things that pisses me off and of course joe will be delighted to hear this here comes the fucking certs again this had a 15 cert in the cinema in england and it had a i don't even think it had an 18 here i think it had a 16 or something might have had an 18 actually but i had a 15 in england the blu-ray and dvd came out as an extended edition with an 18 cert and you think okay it's gonna be way gorier there's gonna be longer scenes of fucking madness whatever else no there's a wrist cutting scene in the film that is about a second lighter in the 15th version the 18th version you see it for an extra second and that's enough for them to go nope that's imitatable we we can't have that i we, mean we, we're, we're gonna make this an 18th cert now because what a huge gap like 18 year olds can't see it and potentially kill themselves i think 15 year olds oh they're definitely gonna do it it's a stupid fucking policy and that's why the rating system is bollocks over there but other than that really enjoyable and inventive Uh, and Elizabeth Moss fucking gives it her all as she usually does Um, oh yeah Nicholas Hope is in it he plays a a fucking uh, I think he's a doctor if you don't know Nicholas Hope he's in Bad Boy Bubby which is one of the most unique films I've ever seen and he plays the titular character of Bubby and he's just a fucking loony and that so to get to see him play someone relatively normal here was cool Um, is it 13 I'm moving on to now just want to make sure yes so number 13 is the second of the pete davidson films that is on this list and it's a surprising fucking entry by judd apatow because judd apatow i thought had gone off the deep end particularly with the likes of train wreck which as i watched it i was kind of enjoyed it but when i thought back the only stuff i really enjoyed was lebron james and john cena the two non-comedians who made me laugh more than any of the fucking comedians in the film um and it's just overly twee this is a really fucking strong drama. Quite long too. I think it's like two hours, 20 minutes. Um, but it's basically sort of semi-fictional. Or sorry, sort of semi-biographical? Biographical? I don't know. It's partially based on Pete Davidson's real life. Because his dad died in 9-11. And this is about a guy who's kind of him. But a bit more of an asshole. He's just kind of a waster, tattoo artist wannabe. And his dad died when he was a firefighter when he was 7 I think it's I can't remember if it's actually nine eleven in this but it's about him trying to adjust to his wife's or sorry no sorry it's trying to adjust to his mom's new boyfriend who's played by Bill Burr and his mam's played by Marissa Tomei and his he's a firefighter so he has a weird internal conflict with it. and it's about him trying to grow as an adult because he's had a sort of repressed trauma over the years from his dad dying and Everyone in this is fucking brilliant. Bill Berg is probably the best performance I've seen him do. Like Breaking Bad, he's classing it, but he's more lots of fun to watch. And this, he's really showing off his acting chops. He's fucking great. Pete Davidson is very solid in it as well. He, he this is how I realised that I actually think he's quite good. And if he continues this streak of surprisingly good fucking movies, I can actually end up liking the chap. But in general, he annoys me. But Judd Apatow, this is a serious return to form from him, and I'm I'm glad to see it. I can't remember who Someone actually plays Yeah Steve Buscemi Which I thought was cool Because Steve Buscemi Used to be a firefighter And when All this shit went on uh, During 9-11 He just suited up And went out And started helping people And there wasn't any of this Fucking I'm going to put it on Obviously TikTok wasn't around But similar He wasn't doing any interviews Going oh I'm just out here To help other people blah blah people only found this out after the fact because they got pictures of him and said oh shit Steve Buscemi's here fucking help me below he wasn't doing it for any sort of fame right now so he was there to actually help and that's why Steve Buscemi's a fucking legend so it was cool to have him in this as the sort of chief of the fire station and I thought it was uh, an interesting choice and there's a lot of really good entertaining stuff in this that is unusual so I I don't want to say too much more about it but yeah King of Staten Island great stuff Um, number 12 then is it twelve? keep forgetting my fucking numbers yes number 12 this was actually the last movie of 2020 that i watched in the year i think i watched it on new year's day um and i thought it was fucking brilliant and it's a movie called a white white day uh, or hit for hit for dagger is how you say i think it's finnish or swedish i think it's swedish uh and it's directed by hilir palmason probably play, pronouncing that wrong um and it's basically in this really remote oh it's Iceland that's where it is in this really remote town in Iceland you have this uh, police chief who's on leave at the moment as he's breathing uh, after his wife died but he starts to suspect that someone in the town might have had an affair with her and it kind of sends him off on the deep end trying to find out the truth and it's so fucking tense and gritty uh, the thing that stood out for me... First of all it's shot on film... And it looks incredible... It's dirty film too... It's not fucking... Like when you look at... The likes of Judd Apatow... Like... Uh, King of Staten Island was shot on 35mm... And it looks really nice and smooth and clear... This is shot on like... Grimy old stock... So it's really dirty... There's lots of scratches and stuff like that... It looks so fucking good... The cinematography is real still... And just looks amazing... Particularly there's a part of the beginning... Where it shows the process... Oh... There's my fucking alarm again... So... You'll hear more about this momentarily. So, as I was saying, uh, I was talking about a white, white day. Actually, there's no point in me really recapping that, is there? Because you'll know immediately what I was talking about. I'm just trying to remind myself. Uh, but I was talking about the bit at the start, where it shows the process of a house being built, uh, like a farmhouse, over what looks like months. But it's rather than doing it in time-lapse, it's just a lingering five-second shot of it several different points of it being built. and just it's fucking unbelievable looking. Really long takes in it as well. It's really it has that really seriously stark real atmosphere to it. There's some genuine moments where my jaw hit the fucking ground and it's just a really bleak movie. Um I've never seen any of these guys before. I the guy's name i probably get wrong. Ingvar Eggert Sigurtson or Sigoson, something like that. Uh he's leading it and he's fucking excellent. Um but it's just I, I can't, I'm trying to think what I could compare it to it has a similar I suppose atmosphere to maybe The Hunt just in terms of the realism it's not like uh, cinematic or narratively similar at all Um but it just has a really stark realistic look to it and it's just fucking so good Um and it's one I've been meaning to see for ages so I'm glad I got to squeeze it in just for the end of the year but it's one I'd fucking highly recommend called A White White Day Uh, I think that was 12. It was. Uh, Number 11 is one that I love when I watch it, even though it stressed me out beyond belief. The last fucking half hour of this film, because it's so relatably real. That's that's what made this so fucking tense. Um, Not even relatable in the sense that I've been in fucking any of these situations. It's just that I know people who are like this, and I know crowds who are like this. So it just made the whole film feel extra uncomfortable. Uh, But the more I thought about it, the more I actually really fucking loved it. And it's Jared Johnson's new movie, Muscle. Uh, Jared Johnson. I think when I was doing my top one hundred of the decade, I mentioned. I didn't mention Tony, which is excellent too. But I mentioned Hyena, which is one of my favorite films of, as I said, of the decade. It's fucking brilliant. It's really stylish and cinematically nice and gritty and warish and very cool looking and in color whereas this he decides to strip all that back and just go for a seriously bleak black and white like natural drama but it's really fucking tense uh it follows a guy So i'm trying to burn my life away here uh cavern clerkin is the guy who plays him i've never seen him in anything else but he's fucking brilliant and he's kind of a schlubby office worker who's his whole life like his marriage has fallen apart and he's just kind of there's nothing really going well for him he's not doing well at work and whatever else but he decides because he's a bit pudgy now he's like you know what i think i'm gonna go to the gym and fucking bulk up a bit and interestingly for the movie they, they actually shut down production for several months so he could actually build up in the gym for later in the film when he's bigger and he actually looks like a little stocky fucking tank of a lad and um while in the gym when he's just kind of trying to learn the ropes it's a really it's a big fucker's gym this is the kind of gym where the absolute rough bastards go so it's completely out of his comfort zone but he meets a guy there who has played in a career best performance on Craig Fairbrass now most people would recognise him as just straight to DVD shitty British crime movies I remember one of the first obviously the first thing I saw him in was Cliffhanger before I knew who he was and uh, he makes a lot of football commentation jokes while kicking the fuck out of someone. Um, I think it's Michael Ruckery He's beaten up. Um, but he... Generally... I, I Rise of the Foot Soldier was the first film I made note of him and I thought I'm not going to watch anything with this chap ever again because he's fucking crap. I just saw him as one of these typical loud mouth cockney fucking assholes who you just see swanning around all these fucking terrible straight to DVD tough Brit movies which... They always have like some Cockney rhyming slang in the title as well. They, they just piss me off. They're so crap. I can't remember that fucker's name. There's a bald guy who always has like a big ring and a cigar. I can't remember his name, but he's in all of them. And he's fucking dire. Um, but this guy, Craig Fairbass... Now, he showed up in the surprisingly excellent movie... Uh, Avengement. Which had Scott Adkins playing basically a scholarly Kind of scumbag type character... And it was just a really gritty British crime movie with a bit of humour and it, but some really brutal fight scenes. And Craig Fairbrass is in it, and he's actually quite good. So I thought, right, he's done something there at least. But he's finally had a chance now to show that he is a top class fucking actor when he has the right material. He should work with Jared Johnson as much as humanly possible, the same way Peter Fernando did twice with Tony and Hyena. If Craig Fairbrass can get a few movies out of Jared Johnson, he's going to have a seriously stellar good drama career ahead of him because he's fucking unreal in this but he basically plays this guy who's a trainer in the gym and says i'm gonna fucking do personal training with you and i'll get you fucking huge and it gets to a point where he's really invasive into this guy's life the office worker uh to the point where he, he kind of i wouldn't even say charms but he kind of just says like oh i'll move in with you that like that makes sense so i'll move in with you and then he kind of has to deal with this guy in his house and there's shady guys on there and there's like even graphic real orgies in the movie where there's just these sh- really fucking scaldy parties you'd never want to be at in your life um but like hyena like <coughs> jared johnson doesn't shy away from the graphic real fucking sex where he has to particularly like in the most disgusting way as possible um uh, and here it looks like they just found a lot of fucking loopers around the fucking shitty little dive bar and just said here look do you want to be in a film where you're all lamping each other out in a fucking gaff and we'll film it with crazy wide angles and all sorts of shit and that's what you get here but the movie isn't that the movie isn't about crazy over the top shit like that it's actually a really slow burn character drama that gets to nail biting stomach turning levels of tension and it's so fucking well done as I said Craig Fairbass is the best he's ever been Jared Johnson is top class as usual Kevin Clark is one I'm going to keep an eye out on but this is one you should all definitely watch and another on the fucking endless list of films that don't have a great rating on imdb which further prove that it will never know what it's talking about that website is a pile of arse and no one should ever trust it it's fucking dog shit this film is excellent so that was number 11 i'm pretty sure so we're down to the top 10 and as i said a lot of these are actually quite interchangeable there's like i could probably go like when i usually do these lists i'm pretty confident that now this is the way i would have it Maybe change one or two around with this. I mean, I could swap King of Staten Island and Muscle back and forth easily when I watch them. So, because there's a lot of good stuff last year, but it's all kind of I can't call it samey. I can just say that I, I think a lot of the same movies here, they're all or I think the same of a lot of movies here, I should say that they're all excellent. So, they're kind of it, it's hard to put them in order except for probably the top five, maybe six. But number 10 is uh, one that I, I'm surprised I liked as much as I did um, and it was a very different uh, pace for David Fincher and it's his new movie Mank, uh, which is a sort of I mean I suppose you could call it biographical but not really it's basically about uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz in Hollywood in the 1930s as he wrote um, Citizen Kane for Orson Welles and the chap said raging alcoholic and uh, generally a bit of an arsehole but he's kind of he, 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 in ways has earned the right to be such an arsehole. Um but he's played by Gary Oldman and this is a case where Gary Oldman is excellent because like I said there's times where I'm looking at him going how is this guy considered one of the best in the world and there's times I'm looking at him going this guy's one of the best in the world he's fucking top class here Amanda Seafried has totally made up for you should have left um with this, she's only in it briefly, but she's excellent. Um, trying to think who else is in it now. Charles Dance is uh, he's only brief in it, but he's very Charles Dance, if that makes any sense. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was in Daredevil or not Daredevil, uh, the shitty one. What's it called? Iron Fist, and he was in Ozark. and He's actually, I think he's quite good when he wants to he wasn't great in. in uh, Iron Fist but he's really good in Ozark and he's really good in this as well he's only in it a little bit but he basically plays um, Herman J. McAvish's brother and I, I think everyone puts in a really top class performance the movies it's a strange how they made it though um, they shot it in black and white I don't think it's shot on film I'm pretty sure it's shot digitally but the sound design of the movie was done uh, mono and with legitimate types of audio recording from back then and the whole thing has this bizarre Oh, I don't know how you'd say it it's not tinny tinny audio is unbearable this is like a kind of a crunchy sort of audio like there's a sort of crackling that's the word I'm trying to go there's a crackly sort of audio sound to it and it sounds quite flat but it works for this movie and the movie I mean it's it's a hard one to recommend at the same time because I mean a lot of it kind of goes over my head too because it's very political and intellectual almost too much uh, and it's very kind of smart witty dialogue and stuff like that but it's it's captivate the watch the whole time and it's just the performances are top class, the atmosphere just especially like I I mean I haven't watched Citizen Kane in a long long time. But you actually don't need to even have seen the movie to enjoy this. Um there's only very mild reference to stuff that he's writing about in it. There's there's no it's not about the making of Citizen Kane. It's about this guy writing a screenplay and his life around it. And it's absolutely brilliantly done and one I can thoroughly recommend. And conveniently it's on netflix so it was a made for netflix movie so it goes to show that netflix they're they're kind of the kings out there now because this wouldn't do big in the cinemas, but it did really well on netflix as it should have and now it's available for everyone to see whenever the fuck they want so mank is what it's called and uh, kind of a funny title see when i before i knew anything about it and it, just, it was called mank like i think the same as the uk over here like mank and manky would describe something fucking disgusting so it's kind of funny to see that used in that context But yeah, at number 10 is *Mank* from David Fincher. Um, Number 9 is another Netflix one. Actually, how many of these are Netflix? Let's have a look. In my top 10, there are technically five movies. But we'll say four. One of them is is technically five. But fucking five movies in my top 10. And how many in the top 20? Let's see. I don't know if there's as many in the top 20. Uh, there's actually none in the top 20, surprisingly. But in my top 10, there are five movies that were made for Netflix. That says a fucking lot. Um, number nine, though, is a biographical, historical, well, biographical is my the word, but historical uh, political courtroom drama, which is just, I lap up courtroom dramas. I fucking love them. They're always good. I even rewatched My Cousin Vinny recently, which is probably one of the best out there for sure. And because fucking Jonathan, what's his face? I can't think of his fucking name now. It's going to piss me off. Um, The director of fucking My Cousin Vinny, whatever his fucking name is, he is or studied law. So all the law proceedings throughout the movie are completely realistic and how they would go down. And it is often shown to law students. As an example of a perfect movie that has realistic courtroom scenarios and how to deal with them and how to actually figure things out, and that that's what I love about the film too, because you see a lot of court movies that will they put stuff in for the sake of drama to make it seem like this is exciting, like a surprise witness and all this kind of stuff, and it, none of it is actually real. There's there's a really good channel on YouTube. It's ages ago. I think it's called Legal Eagle, and it's this guy. He's like a kind of dorky guy, but he's a a real life lawyer, and he reviews scenes from movies and tv shows and talks about how accurate they are to real life core proceedings and the stuff that i've always thought was riveting that he talks about because yeah that would never happen this can't happen that can't happen I'm kind of like oh kind of now it's kind of shit if you if you don't want to harm the the good memory you have of certain films but it's really good to see what is accurate and what isn't And my because vinnie had rave reviews for so that's it at all but i'm totally digressing here uh this is directed and written by Aaron Sorkin So you know you're in fucking good hands there Because Sorkin is, is just known for his impeccable writing ability And with a fucking huge cast um, A serious turn from Sasha Baron Cohen You've Eddie Redmayne again In probably one of his more convincing uh, performances Because he's not just doing oh, in a very pompous British posh voice He's actually just doing a real American voice You've Joseph Gordon-Levitt Jeremy Strong who's usually a miserable bastard and fucking everything he actually got to be a bit of a cool hippie in this um, Mark Rylance Michael Keaton even uh, appears in it John Carroll Lynch who's excellent and oh my god okay Frank Langella is just to me known to be one of the nice he's just a friendly old man he is the biggest cunt in the world in this film like he's enragingly shitty I should probably say the fucking name of the film no matter. it's The Trial of the Chicago 7 and it's based on a true event in 1968 when there was a peaceful protest that turned violent with the police and it ended up with these seven people being put on trial. And really they did fucking nothing. So it's it, it's interesting to to see how they're going to basically get themselves well, acquitted from whatever happened. If that's the word, I can't think of it. But really fucking interesting. All the courtroom drama stuff is riveting. You have all the stuff where they're piecing together the case and how they're going to talk about it how they're going to do it Sasha Baron Cohen kind of plays comic relief he plays a real guy I can't even remember the guy's name is it Jerry Rubin or it could be Abby Hoffman uh, but he was like one of the top Jewish comedians at the time and he really rubbed up the police and everyone the wrong way he was very anti-politics uh, and his whole career is basically based on rubbing them up the wrong way so he kind of plays the comic relief in the film himself and Jeremy Strong the two hippies smoke weed and talk shit throughout the whole thing but they, it's not in such a way that you're like these are fucking annoying hippie assholes they're kind of they're anti-establishment that makes it a bit more interesting I just thought it was fucking excellent the use of music's brilliant there's some really effective slow motion tense brilliant scenes in it um, but really it's all about the dialogue and the characters and everything else and that that's again why I love courtroom dramas because I mean obviously some of them will have like flashbacks to what happened or whatever else the best ones are actually told completely through dialogue and they figure stuff out based on their performance and based on the info that's actually given to you and it does so excellently here so highly recommend this Uh, try the chicago 7 i think both that and mank i think mank was two hours 20 minutes and i think this was not too far off maybe two hours 10 minutes like i think it's long enough but it's i'll check just for the sake of it because it's gonna annoy me otherwise even though it won't annoy regular people uh yeah two hours ten minutes what a fucking guess um but yeah Trial Chicago Seven excellent that's my number nine film and now on to number eight which is actually even though it's not on Netflix it's another streaming service movie one that definitely would have been in cinemas had last year not been a fucking arseways piece of shit here um and again this is one that I could see myself swapping around because there's times where I'm thinking even just talking with Trial Chicago Seven now I'd nearly put it ahead of this. But I thoroughly fucking enjoyed this. Now I'm one of the people who absolutely loved well a lot of people did, um, Inside Out. Which I'm pretty sure Pete Doctor directed that as well. He actually directed a few. He directed Monsters Inc. up Inside Out and this entry, which is number eight, Soul. And I was trying to figure out I didn't look I didn't look up who did the voices or anything, so I was trying to figure some of them out. Some of them you get immediately. Graeme Norton does a voice of that. That has to be Graham Norton. Um But the lead character, it's basically about this uh, jazz music teacher. Oh no, sorry, he's a music teacher in school and it's really dreary and boring but he has a a love for jazz music and he really wants to be a jazz musician but it's kind of a dead-end job. He has a chance to have a permanent position as this music teacher but that would require him giving up his music dreams and he's not sure what to do. And then suddenly he dies. And you are seeing the movie from the point of view of his soul as he fights to get back to Earth and try to take control of his life again and he does so with the there's another soul that he basically has to it's a lost soul effectively and he has to basically teach this soul what's so great about earth so that soul can then be born into the earth and enjoy a, a full prosperous life and whatever else really unique really smart like as heartwarming as you typically get with pixar Excellent use of music. The animation is fucking so creative and brilliant, and at times it looks photorealistic. Like it's New York City and it looks just fucking amazing. Um Jamie Foxx plays the lead role, and when I heard it, I thought it was Terence Stamp. And I spent the whole thing because he kinda looks a bit like Terence Stamp. And I was thinking that has to be him. There's no way that could be anyone else. And then return to be Jamie Fox, I'm surprised. He actually does a quite a good animated voice. I think he's done it before, which I didn't realise. Uh, David Diggs also does a, a performance I think he sings Richard Ayoade you'd know a million miles away um, Angela Bassett also is involved in that. Alice Braga I can't remember her one's voice but she's in um, Jojo Rabbit and I, what the fuck is she in? I know she's in something else because she has a really distinct serious like Kiwi accent um, but she's in this and I couldn't actually tell if it was a guy or a girl because it's such a deep voice but She's fucking hilarious, anyway, and the, the the way they involve her animation is fucking brilliant. And actually, someone I just saw here, I didn't re- I didn't realize Wes Studi did a voice in it. Um, I'm glad he's still working. And Tina Fey, actually, she does the voice of the annoying asshole, fucking soul that uh, soul that she brings or that he brings around and has to show how great Earth is and whatever else. But I mean, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with Pixar, and this this ticks all the boxes. You could argue it's safe. It is a little messier than the usual Pixar, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, <clears> open <throat> between twenty and fifteen. Actually, probably twenty-five and fifteen. You could interchange a lot of these. It is in the top ten. It is excellent. You it could also be number eleven. That that's just the way this whole thing works. But so it's tough class. If you have Disney Plus, it's on there. If you don't want to support Disney, find other means because <laughs> Disney are cons. Um. Was oh, that number eight so number seven now another netflix one and this one was fucking phenomenal when i watched it i was blown away by it and <clears throat> the more i thought about it i still think it's fucking fantastic but i was like there are movies i did prefer this year this this nearly could have been a contender for the best but the movie that i've had literally the first movie of 2020 and i'll get into that in a minute um this one is uh, by antonio campos and he's done three movies all of which i have been dying to see and still haven't gotten around it so i need to change that especially after seeing this because this is phenomenal and i'm pretty sure as well this is pushing two hours 20 minutes which is very fucking ambitious for uh, like a lot of netflix movies tend to be that long but ambitious like this wouldn't make it in the cinemas of that length even with and here's a serious cast you've got tom holland who is as far from Spider Man as you can fucking get in this one? This is a gritty as fuck movie. Um, Bill Skarsgård Riley Keough Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, uh, Haley Bennett, Mia Wasikowska Robert Pattinson, and where's his fucking name? Matthew Vaughn, isn't it? Um, I don't know if it's the same Matthew Vaughn I'm thinking of. There's someone else I had to mention there, but my brain has gone dog shit. Either way, huge, big, serious cast in it, and it's set in. I'm pretty sure the between the 40s and the 60s or the 70s it's around that era i actually think it's the 60s um and it's kind of a tough one to describe because it's 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 not it's not a high concept movie it's very slow character drama and it basically shows tom holland's character as a kid and as a teenager and his father's heavy religious upbringing and how he wants to look after his sister in a world where everyone is a fucking scumbag harry melling that's the fucking name i was trying to think of uh the big eyed weird fucker who was in uh, harry potter and shit like that he's in this and he's brilliant in it and he's just a fucking loopy cunt but the movie itself it's strange because it's everyone in it is a scumbag some are way worse than others but it's kind of it's just the the whole world is completely unsafe in this movie and it's just so fucking brilliantly done robert pattinson is brilliant in it and it just showed the chap has so much fucking range and he's had a great year last year so again if you're including the lighthouse as a 2020 movie then fucking hell it's it's, this chap's a year and he's absolutely top class in this one of the best performances he's given and he's a real piece of shit too. tom holland as i say he's as far from spider-man as you can get he's a fucking nasty gritty little punchy fucker in this and i love that they did this movie and i love that this movie's completely um what would be the word unhinged was the word that came to mind of it it's not that untampered with <laughs> i suppose is the word i'm looking for because this is violent gritty like has sex brutal fucking murders and all kinds of shit. Without, without compromising, uncompromising vision, I suppose that's the word I was trying to get to. That's what this movie is. And it makes it all the more impressive because, I mean, if a studio had this movie, they'd say, right, let's make this PG 13, let's change that. Oh, uh, we don't want Tom Holland for this movie, it would hurt his career, and blah blah. They don't give a fuck with this. They go out and they make this fucking movie. Dark and gritty, full of edge, really stylish. The dialogue's brain, you can tell it's a book just by the atmosphere and i actually do want to i think there's an audiobook of it i do want to hear because i think it's the same guy who wrote the killer inside me i think if i'm remembering correctly it may not be but he actually i am not going to check because <laughs> again this would uh this would bother me if i if i don't get it jane gyllenhaal produced it which i didn't know um donald ray pollock if it's the guy i'm thinking of he actually narrated it as well um no, it isn't. No, that's what I, I. This reminded me of the killer inside me, so that's why I was thinking that. But Donald Ray Pollock, he actually uh, narrated the film. I can't remember who I thought did. I had someone in mind when I heard it. I thought, oh, that's himself, but it wasn't. Um, But yeah, it's a sprawling epic over several years. As I said, laden with grit, really stylish, well made, merciless, and just fucking top class. Some of the best performances in year, of the year absolutely highly recommend it fucking excellent uh, did i say the name of it? no i didn't fucking hell i have to remember to fucking say these names the devil all the time it's called and it's on netflix give it a look um i won't forget to fucking say the next one so number six is a movie that this was quite high up at first and it's a movie that i saw in the cinema i loved it and then over the year I've grown to love it more and more the more I watch bits of it the the, the dialogue and it's fucking brilliant it's the best thing this director's done in a fucking long time and that director is Guy Ritchie and the movie is the gentleman and again this is him back to his roots where he's doing the whole lockstock snatch arguably rock and roller side of his career where it's crime with rich people, poor people and everyone in between and it's really witty well-written stylish the way the stories all come together is fucking brilliant too he's always got twists and turns that don't feel unearned every little decision you see at the start of it will have some sort of impact at some stage throughout it and it's so fucking well done you've got Matthew McConaughey for a start Charlie Hunnam um, Jeremy Strong again he's not as miserable but he is not it Hugh Grant in probably the best performance I've seen him do he's fucking brilliant in this and he's really funny um. Eddie Marzen, who's always fucking good too. And then, as usual, on top form, Colin Farrell, who's just fucking pure dub as you can get in this movie, which is very satisfying to see. I always like when he gets to play someone Irish because he kind of... He brings out the best in the Irish in his movies, usually. But the idea is that Matthew McConaughey moved to England when he was younger, or to London, I should say, which is England, and he's basically set up a marijuana empire and he basically runs that. But now he wants to get out of the business but this puts basically everyone on his tail all kinds of criminals drug dealers toughs the original movie or title for it was tough guys which is a very good pun but probably wouldn't have gone now I they would we'll called it The Gentleman and I think it's one of the most witty enjoyable hugely entertaining a fucking perfect companion piece to Lock, Stock and Snatch It's to me it's almost the third movie everyone calls Layer Cake the third movie which I can kind of see Layer Cake's a lot grittier there is funny moments in it but like lockstock and snatch despite their grit they're primarily crime comedies with odd moments that are darker than you'd expect particularly snatch this movie's the same there's some dark moments but mostly it's a comedy whereas layer cake even though Matthew vaughan directed it and guy rich only produced it is mostly quite gritty with some funny bits in it so i don't think it fits that little trilogy but this is the third movie everyone's been looking for this whole time and I'm a big fan of the artwork for it. The The actual poster for it's dog shit. It's just people standing there with a white background. I fucking hate that. But there's a great one where it's a, like a whiskey glass. And the ice in it is shaped like a gun. And I think it's it perfectly uh, encapsulates what this whole movie is about. But I, I think it's fucking excellent. So at number 6 is The Gentleman. Now we're on to the top 5. Which you could say is my definitive list. Um because some of these were in this position for the whole year some of them obviously added later actually two of them were added later um but both are just they're they're fucking phenomenal this this would probably be if i was to say my top five of the year these would be the five that i would immediately jump to talk about and then i'd probably nearly include the gentleman in that but um these are the five anyway so at number five is the most controversial film of last year uh, surprisingly you, you would never really expect it um and it's Christopher Nolan's tenet now I've talked in detail about this I'm pretty sure because I never wrote a review for this I only realised that when I was I, I updated I think I mentioned this on the last one that I updated No I actually yeah, I did mention it. I updated everything onto the Facebook page. So every review that I wrote so it's turning off that heater. Every review that I wrote last year i finally put onto facebook and all the posters updated and everything else but i realized there was a lot of movies i didn't write for because i talked about them on this or whatever and i'm kind of irritated by that i wish i had written them uh, i also will be turning this list into a more detailed top 20 most likely for the blog that i have uh, which i haven't updated in a long time uh, I, lo- I went into my draft and i realized i'd done a top 20 for 2020 that i never even finished because um, i ended up doing this podcast but I can't remember what I was going to say now. But I'm going to just talk about Tenet. This movie really divided audiences. right? Whether it be because of the sound issues. Which were prevalent. I remember in the cinema I wasn't sure if. The screening I was at just had a fucking fuck up with the speakers. And I was irritated. And I thought oh, fuck's sake. I should have gone to the Poxy IMAX version. And not had to fucking deal with this. But then I realised it was actually. Everyone was having this trouble. Because Christopher Nolan. In his his idea of it is that. He'll have it up full blast the loudest movie you've ever fucking heard and that's part of the atmosphere which i partially agree with i love a loud fucking movie but it shouldn't be so loud that i can't hear the dialogue and there's moments in the film which are key that you can not hear because he's letting the atmosphere take over and that's too much you need to hear the important stuff let the atmosphere take over for the unimportant stuff like he did in uh interstellar there's parts in that where it's so loud you can't hear what's being said but you don't really need to hear it you're kind of figuring it out with these people This movie is so fucking complex that you need a lot of time, and I've watched a lot of videos on it since, and I've been able to put it together as a result of them. I did have my own ideas for some parts; I got right, other parts I was fucking way off. Um, but the basic idea—it's a hard one to talk about because again, it's not—it's not a high concept movie. It's it's slow, but it's not even a character drama because the characters are quite weak. It's more spectacle. And again, that can put a lot of people off, but I am I love spectacle of movies. That's why I'm actually still a fan of Zack Schneider. I love huge style, but it just happens sometimes the style is crap. In this case, I mean it's Christopher Nolan. The the level of action, direction, and the set pieces are like nothing you've ever seen in your life, and he does so amazingly. Um But I suppose the idea is there's a guy who i don't know how the fuck to actually describe this movie a guy's basically recruited for a very special mission with the word "tenet," which can unlock this mission form what me the way to put that and he's now on a time-bending mission to save the world <laughs> i don't know how to describe it without just saying it as bluntly as that because there's so there's so much going on in it and so many little plot lines that kind of feel pointless that all link into this one big plot line where the, the basic idea is that shit's going wrong and he has to use incredible technology <laughs> to, to achieve his goals here. That's about as much as I can say about it. And John uh, David Washington is the lead in it. You've got Robert Pattinson who I mentioned is having a very good year. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is in it who is very hammy but he's quite good the one Elizabeth Debicki I saw in uh, Widows first and I thought she was really good so she it's good to see her and this is uh well. Aaron Taylor Johnson for some reason is in this I don't like him um, and Michael Caine is in an important scene that's quite hard to hear but as I say even though it, it has its issues like it would not be one of Christopher Nolan's best it's still one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. Not just because it was the only cinema experience I had post-COVID. Or pr- during COVID, I should say. Um, but just... The score for the movie is fucking amazing. The guy who did that... I fucking will not remember his name. But he did the score for... The Mandalorian. And Black Panther. And a few other things. And he's... he's it's just brilliant. Especially in this one. Um, The scale of the action. I mean, Christopher Nolan is known for using minimal CGI and he had characters in this learn how to fight in reverse as well as normal so they could film the scenes twice and mix them together so it looks really natural as two people in different timelines fighting each other it's fucking incredible what he did and there's certain bits that are just some of the best scenes that I've watched in the movie just even just little things Like the action set pieces and Spectacle are just fucking out of this world. Um, And what Christopher Nolan's willing to do to get amazing shots and amazing stuff all done in camera. With IMAX cameras that he's actually shooting with. So the action scenes are just full screen incredible. I've seen nothing like it before. Even though it has its issues. And you will probably need a YouTube tutorial explaining what the fuck happens in it i think it's one of the best cinema experiences i had and it's just a satisfying unbelievably well made action film if i think if you're if you're diving too deep into narrative then yeah you're gonna find your issues but this is i'm not saying this is the best film i'm saying this is my favorite or my fourth favorite fifth favorite sorry because it's just i was blown away by it and i got the special edition 4k and i can't fucking wait to watch it but i'm gonna need headphones to put it up as loud as humanly possible um probably would need subtitles to hear what they're fucking saying too but if, if you want something just a visual action masterpiece nearly in that sense this is what you're gonna get as a nolan film it's probably it's hard to even call it my least favorite i prefer it to the dark Knight rises anyway um and i'd watch it over insomnia as well maybe prestige i haven't watched prestige in a while so i can't really say fairly with that everything else i'd probably watch ahead of it but i mean the chap makes some of the best movies ever made so it's hard to really fucking compare i think this is top fucking quality and i'd highly recommend it i know a lot of people don't like it but that's their fucking problem not mine definitely give it a look if you want something that's just totally out of this world um are we for time i'm usually pretty fucking bad at these 80 minutes not too bad i might actually finish this in a, a at a reasonable time Number four, this was hovering around three and two at one stage, but really it it is this number, especially because one of the other entries I saw here was a late entry. This was one of the later ones I saw this uh, in October, and it fucking blew my mind. It is exactly what you want to see a director who's completely... um, I actually only used the word a few minutes ago, and it's going to annoy me now. I said untampered with which wasn't the right word. Uncompromised. Uncompromising vision. And it's a vision that people might argue that he's kind of just stealing from his dad. I don't think he is. I think he's bringing something totally unique and original here while giving some nice nods to his dad's work. And this is Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg, who's made some of the best fucking movies ever made. Um, this is his... Sophomore Oh, is that Sophomore? Sophomore is your second film, isn't it? It's his Sophomore film Possessor. And fucking hell. Like this this is the kind of thing that you'd expect Black Mirror to do, but Black Mirror probably doesn't even have the balls to go this this bleak. And it's Andrea Riseborough who, as I said, I can't think off the top of my head anything positive she's been in. Everything she's been in has been just fucking bleak and miserable. Uh but she's excellent. She's always good in what she's in. Uh, and you have Christopher Abbott too, who is fucking excellent. I saw him in Sweet Virginia and I thought this chap is something seriously fucking good. And then he's excellent in piercing, and he was even in first man. He's like, he's doing quite well. Um, but he's top class here. And he's the likes of Jennifer Jason Lee and Sean Bean as well. The basic idea is there's. Andrea Rysborough plays this assassin, and the way her. Uh, organization works is that they implant a chip in someone's head someone who might be close to the target you're to assassinate and she can control them she basically takes over their body possesses them let's say and will kill whoever they need to kill and then they kill themselves and they come back to reality and it's like some tragedy that has nothing to do with them and you never know that they've actually been taken over by someone she's given a new job to kill this target and she has to take over Christopher Abbott. And let's just say that things aren't going too well in terms of the possession. And both of their minds have sort of merged. And now it's a pretty much a fight for escape for her, but he's also fighting to get rid of her. And I don't want to say much more. I or, like I, I wouldn't say I've said too much there. That's the general plot of this movie. She's essentially trapped in his body. <laughs> and. They, they need to find a he, She needs to find a way to get out. I don't want to say it now. I don't want to ruin anything about it. What I will say is though. This is a me movie. In a sense that it's ultra stylish. Really visual. All practical effects. And it is. One of the most violent movies. Like, probably the most violent film that's actually come out. This year. Without question. Actually. The violence in this film is so brutal like brutal in a way that hasn't been in a movie in a while unless it's some schlocky horror but this is done really graphically really realistically and just so merciless and i i love that it goes there because not a lot of films will it also i mean in terms of sex and nudity as well it is as explicit as you can get uh probably not as explicit as muscle in terms of just how egregious it is what's going on on screen but it is boundary But like this movie is an NC-17 movie this is button pushing it's even been released cut in America you actually have to get it separately uncut which is bananas to me annoyingly the fucking 4K Blu-ray sold out now I wanted to order that and it looks like I won't get a chance to get it because it's only getting a normal release over here Um, but no I mean like David or Brandon Cronenberg's last film Andy Vario was something really unique and interesting and this one is as interesting, not as unique, but definitely unique, and just, there's, there's nothing out there like it, and it's fucking excellent, and I'd highly recommend it, there's some seriously haunting horror visuals, as well as sci-fi, it's also a drama, and it's just gut-punchingly bleak, and it's obviously perfect for me, highly fucking recommend it, some have argued it's actually too violent, I don't agree with that, I think it's the perfect amount of violence, Um, so at number four is Possessor, uh, we're down to the last three now. And this third one is the latest entry, which I only watched this in... I think I watched it in December, if I remember right. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. It was around the first week of December I think I watched this. And, I mean, I've, I've seen... I watched one of Thomas Vinterberg's movies back in college. Uh, I don't think I watched it all. I really loved what I watched, so I'll have to see it again. I, I think I did a brief spiel about the dogma 95 movement before what i'll do is i'll watch that and probably a few others, and actually maybe dedicate an episode to it, or just talk about a few films within it uh but it was his movie which i mentioned earlier on too, the hunt where i thought this is one of the best directors i've seen the hunt is one of the best films i've ever seen without question and this one uh if you're from norway or uh where's danish people from <laughs> netherlands um I think. Um it's called Druck or over here it's called Another Round. And this movie fucking did something that is so rare with movies when it comes to alcohol or even drugs or whatever else and it showed it in a mostly geez, sorry about that whistle between my teeth there. It showed it in a mostly positive light and I'll explain further now. So the idea is that there's these four teachers in a school who they're all pushing 40 now some of them are beyond 40 and they kind of feel like their lives are stagnated and Mads Mikkelsen is obviously the lead here uh, who's just one of the best fucking actors out there Um, and they they find out about this study where the average person is missing 0.5% of blood alcohol so they all decide well why don't we see if we can go about our day today while maintaining 0.5% blood alcohol so they decide we'll basically drink every day it's kind of like really safe alcoholism <laughs> safe probably not the word but the idea is that they they feel better in themselves they feel younger they basically get their lust for life back um but of course they decide to experiment with it and see how much more they can take and whatever else and there's a lot of interesting drama in it but what I loved about it was that it instead of just being alcohol's bad and you become shit if you keep drinking it the idea of it is it's kind of like if you can handle alcohol fucking drink up and enjoy but if you can't maybe you shouldn't drink it that's kind of the message that they're pushing because it just shows that how fun it can actually be once you're not overindulgent on a piece of shit on it and it's just so fucking interesting and seeing these characters they're all really well rounded characters and it's just Brilliant performance is really authentic and good, and the drama is just handled so fucking brilliantly. And I was amazed because it has a twelve cert, and I thought, how can a plotline like this have a twelve cert? Because that's the kind of thing where alcohol alone would get it a fifteen cert because of the content. But because the movie has such a upbeat nature, and it does show the dangers of it without being exploitative or graphic needlessly it fucking works and it works brilliantly and i i absolutely loved this movie it immediately became one of my favorites of the year and uh, as i said it beat out two fucking serious contenders there at the end particularly possessor i thought i think this is absolutely phenomenal i will watch literally anything thomas vinderberg's involved in especially if Mads mickelson's working with him i do want to go back through his career now and watch whatever i haven't seen but this movie is one of the most enjoyable watches of the year and i Can't recommend it high enough. Another round by Thomas Vinterberg. Get on it straight away. Ah, At number two is another Netflix one, which I think is pushing about two hours, 20 minutes or so, or roughly that. This one is going to be hard, very fucking hard to talk about because I don't want to give any spoilers, but also it is such a complex structure. And it's a movie. I mean the screenplay is written by him. But it's based on a book. By I think Ian Reid is the guy's name. And the book and film are both called. I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And it's written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Who if you've seen anything. Charlie Kaufman has been involved in. You know it's going to get weird. Because he wrote. um, Being John Malkovich. An adaptation. Which Spike Jonze directed. Both of them are phenomenal. And amazing stories. um, And he also directed he directed synecdoche new york or synodosh i don't know how you say it because i know there's a place called schenect schenect oh fuck i always struggle with the fucking pronunciation of this word schenectady i think it is schenectady new york but this is called synecdoche or synodosh it's it's written so weird i don't know how to pronounce it i've actually not watched it yet um a lot of people say it's indulgent but to me it sounds appealing because of charlie Kaufman. But he did uh, *Animalista*, which is a fucking amazing stop-motion animation movie. Again, really weird, psychological, depressing, and odd, which is what he seems to do best. This one, though, is just something really special. It's obviously it's done four by three. I think I don't know if it's shot on film, but it looks really fucking nice. Uh, and the basic idea is a woman is on a road trip with her boyfriend to meet his parents. For dinner in the middle of a snowstorm but she's considering breaking up with him so she's kind of in the mindset of i'm thinking of ending things and as i say i, I want to be as vague as possible here but as their journey goes on and their conversations go on things become very unreliable and strange and eerie and I mean I think when I watched it I almost considered it a horror film it, I, it's bordering a thriller it's really unsettling really strange and bizarre and it's not really funny like this, <laughs> like you might laugh at the odd moment but the, the whole thing just has this really unusual atmosphere but as I said I don't want to say anything else about it the, the, move, or the book that it's based on is pretty much a straightforward psychological horror and I listened to the audiobook and it's quite good but I actually much prefer what Charlie Kaufman did with it because he went about it his way. And the thing is. As weird and strange and bleak and odd as it is. It's really fucking uplifting at times as well. And it looks amazing. And the stuff that happens in it is really nice. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's an oven to explain. As I say I'm trying to be as vague as I can. But I can't recommend it enough. It's on Netflix. It's a difficult recommendation. Because if you don't know Charlie Kaufman stuff. You're, you might not adapt to it very easily. I adapted to it immediately... And as soon as it was over... I wanted to watch it again... I just thought it was... Fucking incredible... And I will be watching it again... And I'm hoping... Like... The likes of the Irishman... And Marriage Story... And things like that... That this gets a proper... Not Roma... Sorry... That this gets a proper... Release... You know what... Most of the fucking films... That go to Netflix... That get a, A Criterion or whatever release... Tend to be... Ones that have actually... Had a cinema release too... And I don't know if this did... And that would bother me... This deserves criterion treatment as far as i'm concerned it's fucking phenomenal and i hope that more people will watch it and more people will like it because it's fucking i think it's incredible and it's my number two of the year and had this first film not come out this year this would have been top of the list for sure these were almost interchangeable but i realized like most years there's always one maybe two films that i see more than once in the cinema or whenever they come out like Last or the year before last was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I saw that fucking three times in the cinema and then again at home fucking amazing film I absolutely love it 2021's movie so my number one movie of the year is what I'm talking about now but the movie that I saw three times so I saw it once in the cinema with the intention of seeing another film after but I was so exhausted and stressed after it I went home and had a lie down and then I watched it again with my brother. And then with another brother. Because it was that good. And it is the safety brothers. I nearly said fucking sophomore movie. But they've done a shitload of movies. They've done a few feature films already. One of which or two of which I've seen. So I've obviously seen Good Time. And I also saw uh, Heaven Knows What. Which is a fucking bleak movie. This is Uncut Gems. And I'm pretty sure it was one of the first podcasts I did. Maybe the first episode where I just spent... <laughs> A long time talking about how much I fucking love this movie This movie is a fucking 70 bottles of fucking Four loco Poured up your arse with a red bull up your nose And cocaine in your fucking eyes That's the level of tension And fucking anxiety That it gives you Because even thinking back on scenes of it And it's the thing You look at other movies where you've got a killer chasing someone I don't get much anxiety from that I don't get fucking as much fear from that but this you're following this character who his name is Howard and he's it's it's really hard to describe him because he's an asshole but he's not I don't think he's mean spirited he's just greedy and selfish and he knows how to kind of get bets going and he's constantly in debt and things are basically going fucky for him because he's got debt collectors after him who want money now and he gets this big black opal sent over from somewhere in south africa and it's worth a shit lot of money but he ends up in a series of scenarios where he's not in possession of it and he has to fucking try get it back because he has to get money to these debt collectors but he's also addicted to putting bets on all these games that could get him more money and it's just rapidly going out of control and every time he decides to put a bet on your stomach drops another fucking inch. And you're just like. Oh shit. How the fuck is he going to get out of this. And I mean it's Adam Sand- It could be Adam Sandler's best. Maybe his second best. He's absolutely incredible in this performance. He gives it his all. He should have been fucking nominated. Just like Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson in The Lighthouse. It goes to show the Oscars is a steaming cunty pile of shit. That no one should actually fucking ever deal with. It's the Independent Spirit Awards where you want to go. Uh, which I think I raved about last year what I'm thinking of doing this year I did an Oscars special last year I might mention the Oscars but I might just stick to the Independent Spirit Awards because they're fucking way better um, but he's just so fucking interesting to watch in this movie he gives an unbelievable performance you kind of love him even though he's a prick you want to see him win even though he's a prick and obviously you got other people in the film you've got Julia Fox who she's kind of took the fucking world by storm with this movie pretty much her and her arse have fucking taken over the world uh Adina menzel who's what's her face from fucking frozen, is in this as a fucking loudmouth New Yorker. It's just it's so weird to see her in such a way. Uh Lakeith Stanfield's in it too, he's a wanker. Basically I mean, everyone's a cunt in this movie. Even Kevin Garnett, who plays himself as an asshole. Eric Bogosian as well, who's just fucking always great, is an asshole. And there's a slight cameo from Tilda Swindon, which you might be able to pick up on when you watch it. Um but this one I said was the first movie I saw in the cinema. This is what I was going to say a few movies ago. What I thought I would have probably spoiled what was number one. But the first movie I saw in the cinema was Uncut Gems. And since that day it has been my number one movie of the year. That is rare. There's times where I'll, I'll have a movie high up in the list for half the year. And then I'll see something better than it. Like it often happens when Tarantino brings a film out. But this is the first year in a while where the first film I saw in the cinema was the best film of that year and it's without question the best it's so watchable the dialogue is like nothing you've fucking heard before unless obviously you've watched robert Altman films but instead of having it where everyone has a turn to talk everyone's just talking together it's so natural i don't it, like it's amazing that any of it was even scripted at all it just sounds so authentic and real it's like the, t- the tension is indescribable really you have to kind of get to know the character for the tension to work but the tension will work regardless because nobody on earth wants to be in the situations he's in and I, I, I'm i amazed the he's pulled it off the Safdie's are just two of the most interesting people out there particularly Benny Safty who acts as well as directs and writes he was in, he's actually in Pieces of a Woman which as I said I'll talk about in the next episode uh, but he's in good time too and he, he has range and him and his brother are just true film nerds who just know how to structure and make a film properly and I mean they they stayed in the Diamond District for 10 years. To get all this dialogue and everything as accurate and New York as they possibly could. and What what they achieved is something else. And to me it is the best film of the year. I've watched it 3 times. I will watch it more times. It still makes my stomach fucking drop watching it. And I don't think you'll find a more intense and entertaining film. This year or even last year. It is fucking phenomenal. Now as I said. How I don't have the likes of 1917, The Lighthouse or Parasite in my list this year. Because I saw them in 2019. A lot of people will have seen this in 2019. Because it got a December release in America. So it wouldn't fit into their 2020 list. For me, it came out here in 2020 and that's when I saw it. So it's a 2020 film. It is the best film of 2020 for me. And it's on Netflix. As I said, it started in the cinema and went to Netflix and this also has a Blu-ray release though actually that is an American release it hasn't got one over here but that's five movies in my top ten that were involved with Netflix so it shows that they are doing something very fucking right and they should be respected for it so I'm just going to go through my top 20 again very quickly so number 20 is Big Time Adolescence and number 19 is True History of the Kelly Gang and number 18 is Queen and Slim and number 17 is Dark Waters at number 16 is Palm Springs. At number 15 is Cam with Horses. At number 14 is The Invisible Man. At number 13 is The King of Staten Island. At number 12 is A White, White Day. At number 11 is Muscle. At number 10 is Mank. At number 9 is True, or not True History in the Kelly Game what the fuck's it called? The Trial of the Chicago Seven. At number 8 is Soul. At number 7 is The Devil All the Time. At number 6 is The Gentleman. At number 5 is Tenet. At number 4 is Possessor and number 3 is Another Round And at number 2 is I'm Thinking of Anythings And at number 1, Uncut Gems That is my top 20 of the year I've mentioned my fucking shite ones as well Um, I think I gave a rundown earlier I'm not going to fucking say them again Because they're too shit But all I'll say is Avoid Aquaslash and Peninsula With every fibre of your fucking being um, I did mention The likes of Um some runners up that might have made it into the top 20 but there's there a lot of good stuff last year i enjoyed becky there's a 10 minute short film called if anything happens i love you which is really good animated one that was made for netflix too so you can watch it there um uh, Nemic or nimic i'm not sure how to say it is yargos lintamos's new short film which went to bfi uh or sorry movie and it uh, has Matt Dillon in it, and it's it's only about twelve minutes, but it's got that same eerie feeling as I'm The Killing of Sacred Deer had. I thought it was fucking great. It's only about twelve minutes though. Uh, there's a movie here though. All right, I'm only going to mention this briefly. It's called Killer Man. It wasn't great. It was entertaining. It's uh, Liam Hemsworth and oh, I don't even remember the fucking guy's name. He's in Place Beyond the Pines, and he he played fucking Varg fuckface from uh, um, Burzum. What's his name? Emory Cohen um and it was this gritty new york crime movie nothing really new but the movie right was shot on 16 mils, so it looks fucking deadly but there's huge portions of it that are shot in the diamond district in literally the same places as uncle james and it has that same fly on the wall atmosphere as parts, and it almost feels like a movie that can run parallel to it not even a fraction as good as it but it's reasonably solid and it's it's a cool kind of companion film to see to get an idea of that world that simmers beneath that fucking part of New York. Um Borat 2 was good fun. It's not great, but uh I found it entertaining. And you know' there's The Assistant was really good. That was actually in my top twenty for a while. And there's a really good documentary called the El Duce Tapes, which I thought was going to be similar to the hated documentary about Gigi Allen, but it's actually a much more sombre, depressing and uh horrible documentary than you'd expect and uh fuck it one more what else what else here that is worth talking about i'll give Violent voyager a shout out that was a fucking weird one i'm not sure how, if i loved it or not um it's really odd the whole movie is and it's an animated japanese horror film but animated in the sense that it's paper cutouts moved around not with stop motion just filmed being moving around like it's someone playing with toys and it's really gruesome and strange and odd really well animated and it's one i just want to highlight i I barely remember it really but i just remember that sticking out to me as something really interesting but yeah lots of fucking good stuff out last year the top 20 is reasonably solid i think the top five i know is solid that's 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 where i know my i'm i've got the right positions there maybe top seven but it's been a fucking good year Fuck knows how this year's gonna go. Netflix have announced that they have a film out every week for this year, so there should be something out by Friday. Um, I'm not sure what though. So they've, they've got 52 films essentially coming out, and you've got big ones. There's one with uh, called Don't Look Up with fucking Nina DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and uh, tons of people. I can't even think to fucking list them on it. There's genuinely loads of people. Timothy Chalamet and a few others in it, but netflix are doing that and then as i mentioned last week that deal with warner's and uh what are they called hbo max so you're going to have all the movies simultaneously coming out into cinemas and online and if you've got a vpn you can fucking get onto hbo max no bother so it's going to be a fucking busy year with the amount of films that are available because obviously this or last year they were kind of struggling and postponing and all sorts of shit but now they're all going to be available. They just might not be on the big screen. Which would be unfortunate. But I think this should be a good year. For new releases. So far with Pieces of a Woman. They started strong. I will talk about it in more detail next week. but It's looking like an interesting one. 2020 was a strong one. Despite what happened. And I only saw a measly 88 new releases. Compared to one of the years it's last. Like 160. So. <laughs> less than half. Or just over half. Of what I normally see. No. Just under half. Oh you know what I'm fucking trying to say uh, if you made it this far how fucking long was I gone here because I, I not as long as I usually am oh nearly two hours that's that's a lot better than the last one I'm pretty sure it was much longer the last time but I mean you got my top nine bottom nine fucking movies plus the top 20 plus a lot of on a box, so be happy uh, I don't know when the next episode is going to be out hopefully soon I'm planning to record this weekend hopefully that happens I'm doing it again in the conservatory holding the mic so I hope this sounds good but it's so much more comfortable and so much more handy to fucking do it out here so i think this is where i'm going to do it from now on um thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed it i hope you see all those movies you see except the ones that i mentioned the bottom nine if you do see them give some sort of feedback you can comment on the fucking instagram page or my facebook page if you go to the cracked reel facebook page i think i have it under my name plus reel so kevin shields cracked reel is where you'll find it on facebook follow there and i'd be more active there and on instagram than anywhere else really. there's nowhere else I am uh, it's the only way you can get me on Facebook too because I don't have a real Facebook account because it's a piece of shit but other than running the best film page in movie history it's a uh, it's a piece of shit so if you like any of these movies let me know if you disagree if there's any you would recommend that I didn't fucking talk about there was a good few actually Oh, there's a documentary I fucking didn't mention do I have that on my list I want to make sure I do because I fucking really liked it this is just the last thing I'm going to talk about before I move on yeah uh bloody nose empty pockets is a fucking great little documentary that i'd highly recommend there's a few things here i didn't mention actually sorry broken law as well it's a dublin fucking crime movie which one of the stronger ones that have come out um the Bloodhound is really strange and odd on the rocks is a point actually um but yeah this movie bloody nose empty pockets it's a it's docu fiction is how they describe it so it's not like docu drama where it's a documentary told in a dramatic way it's it's real people behaving how they would behave, but I think elements of it are written. So it's not completely, completely authentic, but it also is sort of authentic. Like what's happening is sort of, we want you to do this and they'll do it, but it's these real people doing these things. The idea is it's a dive bar just on the outskirts of Vegas and it's on its last night. It's closing down and it's all these winos and strangers that all meet up and they've kind of formed a family bond together and you're it's very fly on the wall you're just looking at their final night there and i could have watched it for fucking hours that that nearly made it into my top 20 as well uh that would probably be edging on number 20 if it could be that one i'd highly recommend too so if there's anything that i haven't mentioned let me know if you go onto my letterbox, you'll actually see my list here of the 88 films they're not in a real order as i say they're kind of the top five are everything else is sort of interchangeable um and the bottom ones are kind of in order too but you can see the full list of movies that i saw that year and if you go to facebook you can see the full list of, list of movies there as well as well as every movie i watched last year so if you're interested in all that please have a look if not why'd you listen this far thank you for listening either way and you're all absolute cons. goodbye